0: lord because lord you are great and lord you are good and lord we're here on a sunday night because we want to learn more about you and we want to draw closer to you and we want you to speak um to us through your word so lord open our open our ears and open our minds and our hearts to your word and let it let it just sink deep down into our hearts lord and we hold and let us hold these things precious God so that we can we can uh, share your share you Lord Jesus, so that we can make disciples and Lord do do what you would have us to do and what that means so Lord just meet us here tonight and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, do not you turn and greet one another and then have a seat yeah. hey. Hey, my name's Sean, Sean, Um, well, if you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, open them to Matthew chapter 16, Uh, as we've been going through Matthew, we've been going through Matthew, we've been going through Matthew, and we've been incorporating the book of Mark and and the book of Luke, because... When you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, it's what's known as the Synoptic Gospels, and Synoptic is just a fancy theological word that means seen together, and it's it, it's really good because when you look at those, you get a you get a really good picture of uh, of of what was going on. As we go through Matthew, I've entitled this series "Be Disciples" because well, at the end of Matthew, that's what Jesus says for us to do is to make disciples, and uh, and I noticed something as we were as I was as I was putting uh, the studies together and, and reading Matthew, I've noticed that well, that's what Jesus was doing this whole time that he was here. When he, when he started his ministry, he picked, these, he picked these guys, these guys that were really close to him. And no matter what he did, he, Jesus seems, for the most part, to turn around and explain to them why he did something. And if they didn't get it and they asked him, you know, Jesus, it's not like just said, well, I'm not telling you if you don't know, you know. He, he, would, he would explain it to them still. And you see, as he as he poured into these men's life, and and just how close. And you know, I was you know I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. I was um, I was saying you know I, I, as I, I've been telling the Sunday night people this. Uh, I, I wonder what those conversations were like that are not in the Bible. You know, because I know what it's like to be a guy. You know, we, we we make fun of each other, and you know, we get in arguments about food and whatever. You know, but just just not even that. Just that camaraderie that that they must have had with with the Lord. And I mean. You know, it just must have been mind-blowing. And, and then when Jesus dies on the cross, and it, I can imagine they were devastated, and then He rose from the dead, and they're like, whoa! The person that means the most to us in the world is God. And so, I don't know, I just see something special in, in discipleship. And so as we're going, we'll be picking up in, in Matthew chapter 16. But before we do that, I just wanted to read this because I think it really ties in to the study. In in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, with that, we'll be um, we'll be studying what's going on. We have Jesus, who's in the northern areas of Israel, and as we've seen, he he his we've seen a while back his cousin. John the Baptist had just died. You know, and Jesus being a man, I imagine growing up with him, it, that, that would have had an effect on him. You know, but, but Jesus pressed on. Jesus continued to do his ministry, and he fed the 5,000. And then he goes to a, a pretty, a, as, as far as we could tell, a predominantly Gentile populated area, and he feeds the 4,000. And then we see great faith of a, of a um, Gentile woman there, and, and, her, and her daughter is healed. And as Jesus is up there, he, he we see that the Pharisees confront him, and that was kind of interesting to me because, like, what are the Pharisees doing around a Gentile, like a Gentile populated area? Well, they're following Jesus around, and they're trying to find faults, right? And and so Jesus, he you know, he gets in a confrontation with them, and then he he pulls his disciples aside and he says, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because you know, Jesus was challenging; he was challenging their oral traditions. And again, the Pharisees is a sect that kind of grew um, because of, of the captivity that the, that, the, um, that the children of Israel were in. And so they had in their heads, if, you know, over, through over time, what if we put a fence or what if we put a barrier around God's law? That way they have to break our law before they can break God's law, and then therefore we'll never really go back into captivity. And so just, you know, just on motivation, it seemed like, you know, it's not a bad idea. Okay, I see what you're saying, but... And again, they would hold, they held they held their laws around God's law, and they held it above God's law, and that's what Jesus came down when every time Jesus said, "You have heard it said," but I say unto you, He was challenging their oral traditions. And so He was telling His, and so He saw that Jesus was telling uh, His disciples, "Beware of that, you know, the, it, beware of the beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees." Uh, and it's funny because they misunderstood. Oh, it's because we we you know we forgot bread, and Jesus is like you know I. I just fed 5,000 people, and then I fed 4,000 people, you know, and it's, and it's funny. But, and so he he takes them aside, and he wants to disciple them. And, and he asked, and last week we saw that that Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? You know, some say you're Elijah, some say this, some say that. And he's like, who do you say that I am? And I like Peter, you know, we all like Peter's response. It's a confession which the church has built, right? But Peter's response, it says, says, so Simon Peter answered and said, you are, in verse 16 of chapter 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I kind of, I kind of you know, 100% Peter got that from God. And, the, you know, I can imagine right after that, Peter must have, you know, must have felt like on the highest spiritual, you know, glory there can be at that moment when you know he's like <laughs> yeah i hear i hear from god the father all right that's awesome you know and you know and and it actually it kind of comes into play a little bit later but um but it's i believe that you know it can yes it came from god but it came through um peter experiencing jesus experiencing jesus going up and tup- touching um, you know people with leprosy you don't you didn't touch people you still don't touch people with leprosy because it's very contagious and like I said, if you've ever seen leprosy, it's pretty it's pretty bad. Jesus would go up and touch him and heal him. Jesus would go up and, you know, he would he would spit in the dirt or spit in their eye, you know, and seem like it could be kind of insulting. What are, you, what are you doing that? You know, but imagine the person who's never been touched before. There's someone doing something to him. You know, that in the love of Christ, Jesus feeding, walking on water. <clears throat> and I think it was just Peter's natural response that he got from God. You're the Christ, the Son of God. Who else could you be? And so, well, let's let's get into it here. Looking at Matthew 16, starting at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that um, that sh- this shall not happen to you. But he, di- but he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men." And I put here in my notes: don't be caught up in what your plan for God is. Be in prayer and be in the Word. So you have Peter, and what's going on right here is Peter. You know, is 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 pretty high right now on on the fact that he said the right thing earlier. You know, I hear from God. So Peter is, it's like, so in in the language that's that's being spoken here, Peter's taking Jesus aside, kind of like a, a father takes takes a young child that you know maybe's misbehaving. You know, let me come here, come here, Lord. You know, come here. I I need to talk to you. And then it says that Peter rebukes him, and it kind of makes sense because Peter's thinking, well, <laughs> I hear from God. Let me tell you what we're thinking. You know. And he's telling him that this will never happen. And, and what, what, what is uh, the Lord's response is, you know, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's on the right path, but I, I believe because he's on the right path that Satan, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Peter had just made a confession that is such a game changer. Without, with, uh, without this realization, Christians might have just been a Jewish sect. A Jewish sect. Or a Jewish way of thinking. But this confession constitutes as followers, the church, separates them from just simple religion. The confession that you are Christ, that, that Matthew's pointing out Jesus, the Messiah, to a Jew. And to a Jewish mind, the Messiah wasn't necessarily, well, wasn't supposed to be God, what they were thinking. Messiah was supposed to be someone that would break the chains of Rome and confront Rome and, take, and, make, and put Israel back on par with like, the days of King David. The glory days of Israel, but you have Jesus who's coming down. You know, like you know, like we just read in Philippians, you have God, you have Jesus, who is God, who sits, who sits at the right hand of God, who is the Lord of creation, and he's and you know he's born, he's born on earth and to a low people, the lowest of the low people. You know, picking. I, I can't imagine the guys he picked were you know the cream of the crop of Israel. But it's awesome still. Even as I'm saying that, and, you know, you, you get it. But still, the Lord picked them. And it, it, throughout the Bible, the Lord says He takes the weak and He makes them strong, and He takes the foolish things of this world because it, He gets the most glory out of it because He's the Lord. And as He's speaking life to him, and and I, th- you know, as, I think as Satan sees this, he, you know, he's asking for Peter. He's like, man, I could totally, yeah, I could destroy that guy. But he's on. But the Lord has him, Peter. Um, you have high points of. A high point of faith here, but their faith will not be as high till after Jesus appears to them, and they are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why Jesus kind of is, is taking them aside at this point. And he's taking them aside, and he's pouring into their lives, and I think the application is there, are we doing that? Like, like I've been pointing out this whole entire time since I've been teaching on Sunday nights, I think, I think we need to disciple a little bit more. Now, obviously, I think we need to disciple. We need to be, you know, husbands. You need to be pouring in and loving your wives like like the Lord commands. And you need to uh, laughing. And you and you know, leading your children in the way they should go. And you know, I, I was studying that it says, "Lead your children in the way they should go." That means knowing your your children's weaknesses and their strengths, and and directing them as a father or a mother and, and directing them in the path that you know. Maybe you know, maybe you're not so strong with the math. Maybe you don't be a banker. You know, like whatever. I'm just saying as you direct them in the you know way they should go being encouraging but knowing your children pouring the gospel into them praying with them you know but also in that i think pour, pouring into each other who has god put on your heart to disciple you know i i can just imagine you know if you're you're a well established man you know and you've been a you've been a christian for however long and you you find like maybe you find kind of an awkward teenager or a kid that you know, just kind of comes to church, and you, you know, I don't mean to be weird, and you don't go up to the kid and freak him out, but like, you know, you go up, and you pour yourself into him, and you become a mentor to him, and, you know, and, and, and make, you know, have that, have that connection so that he knows it's a safe place that he can come to you, and, and yeah, you, you, you do, you do devotions with, you know, this person that you're discipling, and you, and you pray with them, but also you can sit there, and you can say, hey, look, I made these decisions, and they were really bad. Don't do these things, you know, and I, I get that. I get, you know, pouring into somebody, and I think we ought to, and you, you know, I don't care how old you are. And as my, my dad likes to say, as a Christian, there's always someone looking to you. And so I, I, I think we need to take the example of what Jesus did here as he poured into these men and he created those bonds of brotherhood with these, with these individuals and even, even the women that Jesus constantly was surrounding himself around. It was women that showed up at the tomb. You know, and so we, we, we need to be like them. We like Christ, you know. Like I said, Jesus says, "Make disciples of all nations," and, and through the discipleship, I believe the next revival is going to happen. But even if it doesn't, one person is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, and the angels rejoice over that. So I think we need to be like Christ in that, and we need to, we need to be discipling. But we have Peter here, and he's he, he's you know he's saying these things, and. He says, you know, he just goes from saying, like, the absolute right thing you could say to the Lord to probably the abs- one of the absolute worst things you could say, you know. And I wonder if years later, if Peter just kind of joked and said, "Good yeah, thing God, didn't listen to me on that one. And in discipleship and, and, and going on, Jesus is setting his mind what he has to do. And Jesus says something, and he knows it's probably going to hurt Peter, but it needs to be said. And they wrote here, never sacrifice what has to be said to specifically spare feelings. Don't let emotions get in the way of discipleship. Now, obviously, I don't want to trample on emotions because emotions is something that we were created with. God made emotions. God's very emotional. Have you noticed that? Jesus wept. He, you know, he, he's there. I'm not. I'm not trying to throw out emotions, but, but if we completely just put our Christianity or or our beliefs in emotions, we'll be all over the board. Like I, you know, I, I, you know, I, every every Sunday night that I leave here, I'm like, man, it's so awesome. God is so good. You know, but that can go away in two point three seconds when I make a left right here on Vineyard and get cut off or something. You know, it's like the, the real test of your Christian faith is driving. But you know, but we don't we don't just put in our emotions. God doesn't say you know love me. He says love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. He he says to he asks Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. But he wants us to agape love him, and that's a sacrificial obedience to the Word of God. And he doesn't hold us to love the Lord emotionally at all points, because I can't love anything emotionally all the time, 100%. But I know, I know my family feels my love when I go to work every day, when I do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I think in discipleship, as, as you're obeying the Lord, that's how you show love. And that's the love that God is looking for. In verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come. Excuse me. Will, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. Mark eight thirty eight says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. I like that He's, Jesus says, take up everything you are. Bring everything you are to Jesus. He says, take, you know, take up your cross. And you know, and, and cross being the Roman style of execution back in that day it was the, you know, even today I think I don't think there's any worse way to die than being nailed to the cross because they didn't just nail you. They, they. My my wife's not here. I could be a little bit more graphic. She told me not to. But when you're on the cross, you you know you, you know the story. You've heard it. You know, just alone, getting nails slammed into your wrists and your feet, and what happened to the Lord, getting you know he the cat of nine tails whip, getting ripped open, beards pulled out you know, the, the um, crown of thorns put on him. And it's kind of a picture when Jesus says, take up your cross. You know, we need to take up our cross all the time. We need to constantly be nailing our flesh to this cross. We constantly need to bring, and I like, his, you know, and what he's saying here is, is, is take up everything and follow him. Have you given everything to the Lord? Because maybe you're struggling with something. And maybe you're trying to keep it separate from God. Or maybe you're trying to entertain, entertain both, both, you know, entertain your sin or whatever's happening, and then going to God and then going back to your sin and going back and forth, and tra- take all that and offer it to the Lord. Romans 12.1 says, "Offer yourselves as living sacrifices." And you know, our our flesh doesn't like that because when you're a sacrifice and you're on the altar, what's going on? You're burning, and your flesh, your flesh doesn't like to burn. So we take up, we take up everything there. We're, we're, you know, we may be a mess. Every one of you, especially me, could be a mess in here. But you know whose mess you are? You're the Lord's mess. He's doing a work in you. You're fil- you have the Holy Spirit. I've, I was reading something, or listening to something, and someone's like, well, you know, I, it would be awesome to talk to Moses. Be like, what was it like to, to see the Red Sea part, or what was it like to see the cloud of, you know, the cloud during the day and the fire at night and all these things? And, and his response was like, Moses probably look at you and said what was it like to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time? You know, that's kind of neat, and that's what we have. So we take up everything that we are as believers, and we follow Jesus. He doesn't ask that you leave anything. He asks that you follow him. He, you know, he asks that you take up the cross. He, uh, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like what it says, gain the whole world but lose your soul. A matter of being eternally minded. There must be an importance to your soul if Jesus is saying that it doesn't matter if you get if you get the most this world has to offer. In Christ, your soul in the hands of God is worth more than every precious thing this world ever has to offer. I like that I keep I think it's like Tozer, who says, How how precious is your soul if God and the devil are contending for it? Your soul is worth God's suffering for it. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and you have, you have become joint heirs with Christ. Romans eight sixteen through 17 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11 says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God, and I, and I also trust are well-known in your conscience." There's obviously more to life than this. And so we put our souls in the hand of the Lord Jesus. And that's kind of a it's kind of a crazy thought if you think we're we're we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. God looks at you as if you've never sinned. God looks at you as an adopted son. And, and in that, I think we need to be eternally minded. And that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is because of the terror of the Lord we persuade men. And that's something I've noticed and I've pointed out before in, in, as I've been teaching Matthew. It's, it's interesting to me that it's the goodness of God that leads people to salvation. It leads the center to repentance. But it's the terror of the Lord that, that kind of motivates us to persuade men. Because I can't imagine if you're standing without the Lord Jesus in the great white throne judgment one day and having to answer, not, not just for the major sins that you've known or maybe the sins that you've kind of forgot about and you don't really want to think about those things, but everything that's, that's a sin, because God is absolutely just, and the, you know the books will be open, and He's going to say, "Okay, let's see." And if you don't have, if 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 you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, and you and you don't belong to Him, you'll stand in that in that judgment. And so we we persuade men, and, and, and we need to be eternally minded, and knowing that this is not it. I was, uh, uh, I was talking. I was at a wedding I was, uh, in uh, San Clemente. and I was talking to Hall, Pastor Holland, and he was saying, "It's funny that we spend, you know, what is it, uh, eight, eleven months in the womb? I don't know. We spent X amount of time as a baby in the womb, whatever that is, <laughs> you know. And then we, and then then preparation for this life. And how long are we on this earth in preparation for eternity? There must be some kind of importance in heaven and what we're going to be doing." Well, first and foremost, we're going to be with the Lord. That's your reward, right there. You know, you make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth for some reason, and but you're but you're saved by the Lord. There you go. That's your and you're standing in front of Jesus, and you're like, I didn't do anything for you. He says, but you believed in me. You called upon me. What? And you know, it's it's not even that hard. It's just believe. I mean, I know it could be hard to believe. You know, and and, and just the psychological issues. That we, you know, I just probably, we probably don't even have time to go down that road, but. But, I mean, what, what, what is it for Jesus for Jesus to save a soul? Look, like, again, I, I just constantly just always use this guy, the thief on the cross. Jesus didn't go, okay, well, let's do the sinner prayer together. He didn't go, okay, well, hold on, let's, let's get you baptized real quick. No, he just saved him. You know, I can't imagine when he's walking into eternity, and he's like, look, I never left you nor forsake you, you know, all this, this whole time I was here with you. You know, that, that must have blew, obviously must have blew his mind, but but we, we save souls, we do and if we're, if we're using Jesus as the example he 's doing it right up to the point that he was dying, like literally our, that guy was a Christian for like two hours or something i don 't know, however long. Second Peter chapter one, sixteen through eighteen says, "For we did not follow cunningly deceived fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're eyewitnesses of His majesty, for he received from God the Father." honor and glory, when such a voice came to him uh, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Some standing here shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus said this at the moment but to emphasize an important truth. Walking with Jesus doesn't just mean a life of death and crosses, it also means a life of power and glory of the kingdom of God. Jesus promised some his, some of his disciples I'm sorry Jesus promised some of his disciples a glimpse of that power and glory. We see in Luke chapter 9 that when they were going up, it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 28 now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And right before, right, um, right before chapter seventeen. And keep in mind, they they incorporated the um, chapters and verses something in like the fifteen hundreds. And so it's 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 it seems like chapter uh, chapter seventeen could have been right before, like uh, chapter sixteen, verse twenty eight could have been verse one of chapter seventeen, but it wasn't. It says in cha- in verse twenty eight of chapter sixteen, closing out sixteen. As surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the son of man coming in his glory so he takes he takes peter james and john and these i believe are the individuals that are that are going to see jesus in his glory right then because if you as we're going to read the rest of the, the rest of the transfiguration they see jesus in glory there's, there's i was i was listening to a pastor and he said there's some line, there's some lines of thinking and one of the ridiculous ones is uh, that that john the Apostle John is still alive, and he's he's hidden in the Vatican, in Rome, which is you know obviously ridiculous because John probably would have put up the Catholic Church by now. You know you guys are doing this wrong, but here or there, but you know that it's just kind of ridiculous. And I, I just you know there, there's, well I don't know. I I just read what the Bible says here, and it's interesting to me as they're going up. Luke says he's taking these men and they're going up to pray. And everything, everything should start in prayer. We have to be in constant communication with, and it, with, with the Lord. And the, and it's again the, the example of, of of the Lord Jesus, who was constantly in prayer. When he, when he wanted to get away, he would go to pray. And I, and I really I kind of get that in in that he's you know he's he, his relationship with his father. He would get away to pray to his well to his father. He was he was in eternity with him. And now he's on earth and it's just second nature for Christ to pray to his to his father all the time. And I could see as Jesus is taking these men and he's taking them up up the mountain to pray is that's his that's his first thing he's trying to pour that in, and get them to understand that. And as he's going up there it it, it can kind of seem messed kind of messed up he's like why is he taking Peter, James and John? What about Bartholomew and and Simon the Zealot and you know and Andrew? Why right? how come they're not going? You know, I think I think we can kind of think in our Christian heads. Well, it's because these are the special ones; these are the most important ones. But what if, what if, and I, I just kind of think this—you could take take this how you want. What if he's taking them because they're the problem ones? Look what Peter just did. Every time P, you know Peter opens his mouth, it's a crapshoot. It's like fifty-fifty. It's either going to be really bad or really good. It seems like. And then James and John, what happens when the uh, some, some when Samaritan's uh, rejected them? They were like, "Hey God, why don't we call why don't we call fire down from heaven on them?" You know, okay, sons of thunder, relax. You know, so maybe Jesus is just taking these guys because you know, how about you're just near me? I don't want you to mess anything up. You know, it's going up there. He wants to disciple them a little bit closer. I don't know. I just think that's funny, and I think that might maybe it. Wrote right here in in Second um, Kings chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. In Exodus chapter thirty-four, twenty-nine. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the, tes- of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So, so keeping that in mind as we go into chapter 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. His brother led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, um, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased, hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must uh, must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first, and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know they did not know him, but I'm sorry, they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise the Son of Man is, is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. I don't know if I could honestly sit here and tell you. and Because like my, my biggest desire as someone that teaches the Word is to like, I wish I could just like do it in such a way that like we're just transported to that time and we could see exactly what was going on. I mean, if I had that ability, that would be really cool, but I don't. So. But like if we were there and we could see Jesus transfigured, And it's just—I don't know. It's something in here. It's just—it's amazing that these men got to experience that to me. Because I'm wondering if—if—if if, if throughout there, you know, Peter said Peter had his confession, "You are the Christ, the Son of God." And so let's just assume Peter believes that. Did James and, and John? I'm—I'm I'm willing to bet they believed right after that. Like if they had any doubt before of who Jesus was, now they don't. John, in fact, he would he would he would get to see the Lord again in in a in a, in a in a in Revelation when he wrote Revelation. He talks about seeing the Lord, and he gets into a little bit more detail about the appearance of the Lord. Also, I, I believe it, it. I believe it speaks of the Lord's appearance in Daniel. And it's just it's just amazing to me because you you know later on they they obviously they wrote this. Matthew didn't know this was taking place because he didn't, I don't know if they told him yet until after the, the risen Lord. And then like, you know, did they tell, did Peter tell Matthew, okay, yeah, now I can tell you because now Jesus says, okay, you know, and they, you know, and seeing the risen Lord and, and the impact that he has. And maybe sometimes in this, what I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe sometimes you have doubts about the Lord or this whole thing in general. And something I'd like to point out, and I pointed out before, but you know, 10, out of 10 of these 12 men died for this. And this is something that, that really speaks to me and really brings me so much, um, just strengthens my faith. 10 of these 12 men died for what they believed, according to Christian tradition. One was Judas. He, he betrayed the Lord, and he committed suicide. One was John, and, and well, you know, the Christian tradition tells us he was exiled, and I, but we believe he was boiled alive in oil. Either way, he, saw, yeah, he suffered for the Lord. But ten of these, and, and many of these men took their, took their wives and children. And let me say something. And I've, I've said this over and over again they, you know they, they did this because they seen the risen Lord. They they saw God. He rose from the dead. Let me tell you, as as a man, you know, we, we don't die for something we absolutely know is a lie. We're not that stubborn, contrary to popular belief. You know, we, we 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 don't die for something that's outright that we believe or we know that is not true. And so you got you got Peter who 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 you know sees Jesus who in fact again doesn't know what to say so he just says something you know hey this is great tabernacles for everybody, and then it's funny because you know the one that gets gets the word gets a special word from God, God has to say it out loud you know you. Know, this is my beloved son. Stop talking, you know. whom I'm well pleased. He says that a lot to me. Um, but he's seen the risen Lord. He's seen the Lord transfigured. And then he's seen him rose from the dead. And then years later, Christian tradition says that Peter was crucified and Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't believe he was worthy to die in the manner that his Lord did. And imagine that, 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 that way of that way of thinking that these men had after, after the Lord ascended into heaven. That must have been the most—their their, their whole lives and their ministry must have been just the most exciting um, experience that they've ever had and that anyone's ever felt because, you know, they've they known without a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus gave Moses the tablets. Jesus— Made the walls of Jericho to fall down. Jesus brought us out of captivity. This, this, this person that you know, as a Jew, we never really could have that relationship of, of being in a family with him. But he was God. He was on this. Th- but no, he came down and called me off the boat. And then, and then he dies on the cross for my sin. So now, now I can I can have I can boldly come into the throne room of grace and speak to God the Father. And he rose from the dead. And it's, it's, it just must have been the minds, like, like oh, I can't, wait. I mean, if you read, you know, read Paul's writings and, and, and uh, you know, any of John's, they believed the Lord was coming back, like, right then. They believed it was happening in their lifetime. And just a an side note, let me get carried away a little bit with that. I believe the Lord wants us to think that at all times as, as, as time progresses. I believe he wants us to behave in a way as if he's coming back now, you know. Because when we're doing that, we're, we're doing what the Lord commands. But going back to their mindset, when they, I, I can't imagine when, when Rome or whoever was threatening to kill them, you know, you're, you're going to die, you know, because of this. Their mindset must have been like, I, mean, I imagine there was a conscious fear of how they were going to suffer. I mean, they're human beings. They have nervous systems. But in the same token, I believe with 100%, they're like, you're, you're going to, my, to you're gonna send me to God? And that's the importance of, of 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 your relationship, of being born again, but also being a born again as you're born again, realizing that we are going to live forever with Jesus. The Bible says, the Bible says that one day the Lord will rule with an iron rod. He says one day he will he will rule and reign from Jerusalem in, in, in the thousand-year reign, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with him. And I don't know the specifics of that. I, I just don't, you know. But if we, but I believe right now, as I said, like a baby is in the womb preparation for this life. I think right now as we're in this life, we're getting prepared for what's going to happen in eternity. I don't think you die, go to heaven, and that's it. I believe you die and go to heaven, and things are just getting started. But I believe we need to be taking people to heaven with us. Because I think people are part of the reward. Because as I like to point out, and I, really, I say this a lot because I really hope it sticks you because I believe a lot of you have children or you have young people in your life that you're in charge of. You know, if there's many mansions in heaven, let's say you get to heaven, and Jesus is like, hey, all right, Sean, you have four mansions. Wouldn't you give, any, give up those mansions to see your children in heaven with you? Or to have Jesus put his arm around you and be like, you know, you, you were ministering to that guy over there for, you know, for however long, and he always rejected you. Well, you know, one day he, he became born again. I saved him. But you prayed for him. You poured into him. I think, I think a big part of the reward in heaven is going to be the people that we affected for the Lord. And I believe we need to be doing that. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking about our heavenly reward. And what that's going to be. In fact, I mean, Jesus even says, you know, build your reward in heaven. And so if, it's in, if I'm right and it is involved with reaching people, shouldn't we be doing that? And I'm not even trying to say, you know, bring them the Sunday night to make Sunday night bigger. Although that'd be kind of cool. But like, I'm not just saying that to grow Sunday night or Sunday morning or anything as far as Calvary Chapel, Ontario. I'm saying specifically the kingdom of God, the church being the body of Christ. We need to be pouring into people's lives. And so when, when you know, Peter, they get to see this and they get to see the Lord and James and John. I think we can have that same excitement. What can man do to me? What's the absolute worst thing that can happen to a born-again believer is the absolute best thing that can happen because you're in the presence of Jesus. Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are a light of the world. A city that is, on, that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men That they may see your good works and glory your Father in heaven. So we need to be in prayer. I think uh, we need to be in prayer. We need to be in the Word. I believe that's how we see the Lord. And we once we once we are in the uh, in prayer and we're in the Word and we we take those things and those revelations that God sees us by being in prayer. And being in a, in a heart of because later on next week we're going to read about when uh, they come down and there's a uh, there's a demon possessed boy he keeps throwing himself in the fire and the other apostles can't cast it out and they say why couldn't we cast it out and Jesus says because this one only comes out with prayer and fasting and do you have that 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 lifestyle of prayer and fasting and that's something we'll talk about next week but but that but that's that's what we need to be about now like it says in in Matthew chapter five and six in the Sermon on the Mount discipleship through the word through God's promises Moses and Elijah it is fair to to think that these two particular persons from the old testament appear because they represent the law Moses and the prophet and the prophets Elijah the sum of the old testament revelation come to meet with Jesus at the mount of transfiguration and it's so cool to me that no that like you know we don't there's no there's no like rest for as far as, like, I believe Jehovah's Witnesses think there's, like, some spiritual sleep for a long time. Something like that. Um, you know, it says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And what's kind of cool about the spiritual realm thing is, how in the world did they, did they know that was Elijah and Moses? When they appeared, did, did, did like, Moses turn around and go, "Hey guys, I'm Moses, you know, or did he stamp his name tag? Hello, my name is Moses, you know. No, I believe, I believe they just knew. And it's, I mean, is that really that far-fetched? I mean, they're seeing the transfigured Lord. They can't, they can't just, by the Spirit, know that's Moses and know that's Elijah. But it's the representing the completion of the law, and I like that, that they're talking with the Lord, that they recognize Jesus, Moses and Elijah, and that, you know, I believe it's just, you know, you look through the Old Testament, you see Jesus all over the Old Testament. In fact, I would be as bold to say, it, as any time that man at any point in history has interacted with God, it's been through the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament even with Moses in the burning bush. In fact, you go read that and you see that it's the Lord, I believe, in the language that's being spoken there. And, and it's the completion that this whole point and why Jesus would even come and how he, why he challenged the oral traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is because the whole time, the whole law was pointing to Messiah. The whole time, the law was pointing to Jesus. And the whole time, Israel was supposed to be that light to the world. But you know they're human and they blow it. They they blew it all the time. I'm in Deuteronomy my personal devotions and and there's there's one part where it's I don't know it's funny to me, but it's funny because it shows the personality of our Lord. And maybe it's kind of messed up that I'm laughing at it, but like God's like, and I'm going to bring you into the land of like Deuteronomy eight. I'm going to bring you in the land of uh, this is loosely translated of milk and honey, but not because you guys are anything special. You're a bunch of stiff neck people. Like oh thanks man like cool you know. He's like stabbing them. But, you know, he, he wants to be, them to be a proper perspective. But he wants them, I think this whole time Israel was to be a light to the world, but Israel would look at Gentiles as, 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 as fuel for the flames of hell. And I think Israel was supposed to be um, pointing, to the, pointing to God, pointing to salvation. This is where you find salvation. This is where you find peace. But they put a, they put a ton of, they, they, you know, for a large part of their history, they worshipped other idols, and they broke the heart of God. It's funny because they went. God had them go into uh, into captivity, and after they came back, we, you know, as far as we could tell in history, they they stopped worshiping idols after that. But they were very secluded. They had all these these burdened laws on top of the law of God. But the whole time, the law was supposed to point to Christ. The law of Moses. Remember that Jesus came to fulfill the law, so that the law was always meant to be uh, meant to be the foundation of Jesus. He gave He gave the law to Moses in the first place. The prophet Elijah, always God sending them to get His people back to Him. The mission of the prophets are to point His people to Jesus. What's your mission? It's to reach people. The the the, the I believe the um, the order or the or the, the the job or whatever of the prophet is closed because Jesus has came. And that's what the prophet was doing. But you can have to get the prophecy. And you know what the gift, you know, the gift of prophecy comes through is prayer and reading the word of God and being connected, a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and 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 knowing God's heart. And you could speak. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can you can prophesy into somebody's life. But as far as Moses and Elijah being there, we see the connection there. Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 8-4 through 4 says, Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey Obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under law, but under grace. And that's the age that we're given. You have up to the point that you die to repent unto forgiveness, to repent unto salvation. That's and that's. I mean, like I said, you know, with, with someone from the altar, what's it like to live with the Holy Spirit? And that fact that we have that is powerful. The fact that we live in that, and what the whole point of a Jesus revealing Himself to Peter, James, and John and saying, "I'm God," because only God can pay for sins. And I think, and I was, I was saying earlier, you know, those sins that maybe there's, that I could probably say for an absolute fact that each one of you have a sin, that, and I don't want to bring this up to your memory, but you have X amount of sins in your brain that you don't like to think about, that you've bet you know, Jesus forgave me, I don't have to think about anymore, Sean, why are you talking about that? But you know, you, you know what's crazy about that is Jesus, it's because Jesus took that on the cross, and you, you, know, you see salvation. Why Paul in Romans, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, don't live, reckon your old man dead. Because Jesus took those sins on the cross. You know, you know, Jesus was sweating drops of tears, or drops of blood because of that. Because for the first time ever, God was going to experience what it was like to be separated from, from God the Father. He, he took your sin, your sins, my sins, everyone's sins, was placed upon the Lord. You know, the other sins that you think of when you, they do come in your memory, you can barely contain them in your brain i like, oh, I hate that I did that. It's so, it's so just, it just weighs me down and it just crushes my brain. That, and that's just the things I've done. I can't imagine, you know, getting any one, any, any one of your sins like that placed upon me. I would break in half. I would lose my mind. But who could take that? God. God can take that. God took that. And what did he say? What did he, I believe, what did he say when that was placed upon him? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what happened? He crushed that, and he, and he destroyed that, and he, and, and he did that on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and now we are more than conquerors. And now we are joint heirs. Now we're washed white as snow. We live to Christ. We are lights now to people. Be that. You are transfigured in your relationship to Jesus now. Living sacrifices that will one day be like Christ. That's why it is holy and acceptable to God. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and so we act as ambassadors to other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as, th- as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You, we can also say that Moses and Elijah represent those who are caught up to God. Moses at Jude nine. In Jude nine it says, Yet Michael the Archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed over the body of Moses, dared not bring in a, uh, against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And Elijah at Second Kings two, eleven, says, Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. More specifically, Moses represents those who die and go to glory. And Elijah represents those who are caught up to heaven without death, as in the rapture. The rapture being spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you, it says in 1 Thessalonians chap- verse 13 of chapter 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I, you know, I wonder if, if Peter ever saw the writings of Paul you know, when, when he wrote that. And it, he would have been like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen the transfigured Lord, I've seen Elijah and Moses. You know, and it's amazing that maybe if I'm right and God took Peter, James, and John because they were the absolute worst of the apostles and they did the, the most work, look what, the, look what happened to them. And, you know, I say these things, it must have been crazy and it must have been so mind-blowing for them. But, guys, we have that excitement, too. We are eternally minded. God is not done yet, and I know that because God hasn't, I'm not in the clouds with him yet. And even then, you're not done. Even then it's, I mean you're, you're going to be like him in a glorified body, it's, gonna really, it's really taken off, but even now you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have spiritual gifts that you, God wants you to utilize through discipleship. Being eternally minded, amazed that these men, even though they are not in the realm of life, here they are more alive and part of what God is doing. Luke shows us, they talked about the plan of salvation with Jesus. Luke chapter nine, verse 31 says who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The plan of salvation wasn't a surprise to the Lord. There, there, there's those the, those um, more liberal theologians who said, God didn't know what he was going to do yet. Well, no, yeah, he did. Even Moses and Elijah knew about it, and they're talking to them about it. Fully understand that there is so much more than this life. That is why your souls hold value. Jesus wants you a part of his plan forever. It doesn't end when you die. It begins in a way... That starts at your salvation. Matthew twenty four thirty five says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away." Iron rod. Revelation chapter 2, 25 through twenty seven says, "But hold fast what you have till I come, Jesus. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with uh, with a rod of iron." They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel as I have received from my Father. This all starts now in your homes. As you disciple your families and as you pour into a life. This is eternal. This gives life. And This was was shown first in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the first verse I ever memorized. I wonder if there's like some... I wonder if God does that on purpose? Like I, I think, like everyone knows that verse, right? It's like so easy to memorize. I wonder if that's a God thing? It's a God thing. It's in the word. Um, this blows Peter's mind, and Peter, not knowing what to say, says, "You know, let's, let's start making tabernacles for everyone." God intervenes and says, "This is my son; hear him." God is involved and loves Peter. Peter is chosen uh, by God and will step out from his throne to get Peter back. I, P, you see that, like Jesus in, is is purposely interacting on their behalf. Satan was after Peter. Satan saw how effective Peter can be when Peter says the wrong thing. So he was going after Peter, but Jesus interacted on his behalf. When God draws near to man, it is obviously necessary that his glory should be veiled. No man can see his face and live. Hence the cloud in the instant, and in other cases, when it talks about when a cloud came down. Why was it a cloud? Because it was veiled, because no one could, could see God, and God was present there. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me in Psalms 2-7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Isaiah forty two one. Behold, my son, my servant, whom I upheld, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Matthew twelve eighteen. Behold, my servant, whom I upheld. My well, I sorry. I reprinted that. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. From your brethren, him you shall hear, so that so that this voice of the Lord uttered three Bible words, and surely if the Lord speaks in a language of Scripture, how much more should his servants we preach best when we preach the word of God? God speaks through his spoken word. Hear him God is saying. And, and in that, as he's speaking, and if God, in, in fact, was taking Peter, James, and John because they needed the, mo- the most um, attention, who in here needs the most attention from the Lord? Who in here needed to hear that these men willingly died because they absolutely, without a doubt, saw God raised from the dead, saw Jesus raised from the dead? And if you, if you can wrap your minds around that, can't we conquer the world for the Lord? At least we can feel like we can, because that's, that's kind of amazing. And I believe as we, we're in the Word, and we're in prayer, and we're ministering to our families, because maybe you're here, and maybe you're, you know, you're, you're not a pastor. And maybe you, you're doing everything you think you can, but it just doesn't seem like, you're. well, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be a pastor. But you're pouring into your family? and you're bringing them to church, not just for the action of going to church, but for you know, not forsaking the, the uh, assembly of the saints, and, you, and you're doing your best to give them devotions and lead them in the right path, God says lead them, lead them in, in the path the way that they should go, and in the end they will not um, depart from it. And I believe, and maybe that's all you're able to do your whole life. I believe, I believe that's when God looks at you and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He did it with Jesus. What did Jesus do up to the point before he started his ministry? He was probably a, a sweaty carpenter, being the sole earner for, for his family, because you know, as, as far as we could tell, Joseph died. Who would the responsibility have fallen upon? The firstborn son. And so, may, so, so move in this. Be in the Word and lead your family, because I believe just leading your family is going to have a great reward when you're with the Lord. It has great reward now because you see that your family is walking with God. Father God, Lord, we just come before you once again, Lord, and we just ask that these words would just, would just go deep down into our soul, Lord. And Lord, that you would, Lord, you would just appear before us through your scriptures, Lord. That we would see your glory when we are obedient to your word, Lord. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to be. Uh, to, to be what you want us to be, Lord. Lord, and I just ask, Lord, I know there's a lot of, a lot of colds going around, Lord, so I, bre- I, I pray on behalf of myself and of everyone in here, Lord, that you would, you would bring healing from this, Lord, and those who aren't here, Lord, you bring healing. Um, and take our colds away, God, so that we can serve you better, Lord. Please, Lord, as we go out and we go into the world this week, Lord, just help us to be lights, Lord. Help us to reflect you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for everything that you are, Lord, and just fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we love you and we praise you. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand?